Well, my wife and I are glad to be with you this morning. It's a joy and privilege to, yeah, just uh, serve together. As Graham was uh, introducing me, I am uh, the district minister for the British Columbia Baptist Conference. And uh, in short, we call it BCBC. And many people say, what is BCBC? So it stands for British Columbia Baptist Conference. So we are in British Columbia, and uh, we are Baptists, and then we confer together. That means we have uh, churches in our province that are of Baptist persuasion, so British Columbia Baptist Conference is not my office, it's the churches. The churches that have come together to say, let's confer together to do what God has called us to do in this province of British Columbia. We are a district of the Baptist General Conference. So nationally we are known as the BGC. So we serve in Canada and abroad. Now you are part of this movement Many of you have been part of this conference or movement for many, many years. In fact, I was in one of our churches recently, and as I was there, I'm trying to look for something here. As I was there, I met one lady. She is in her 80s now. And uh, she originally came from England, when, you know, lived in Toronto, then moved. Uh, when she was 35 years old, to Vancouver. And she has kept the bulletin that she had when she was 35 years old. Now she is in her 80s. And so she, she showed me this. I said, let me take a picture of this. And this was, I think somebody here will remember, it was in 1975. So it says, pastor of the church, uh, Gavin McGetrick, and youth pastor, Dale Bartman. <laughs> so, so I was there, I said, yes, I know who was your youth pastor then. And uh, so, yeah, like many of you, uh, you've been part of this movement for a long time. So Dale Bartman has been part of this movement as a pastor, as you know, he served in different, different capacities within here, and so are many of you. So I want you to, I want you to know that we are very grateful. This congregation has been part of this movement for many, many years. And of course, the church that I was referring to is Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. That's where Dale was youth pastor. And uh, just early this month, I was you know, just working with them. I've been working with them for a few years now as they are transitioning into something that they sense God wants them to be doing. And they are seeing uh, growth and lots of young adults, young families beginning to join uh, the churches. And um, it's, it's been a joy to see that. You know, in the past few years, we've been hearing from the media how the young people are moving away from the church. And uh, the media will sensationalize these things to make you think that the church is in so much trouble that the church is going to die. 
Now, recently, people asked me to dream the blue sky, and I told them that, you know what? I am very, very optimistic and hopeful that the church in Canada is rising up. Because I know the one who said, I will be with you until the end of the age. And that is Jesus. So I know that God is raising men and women to do his work. You know, we are having problems or difficulties finding pastors to fill churches. Because we, have, we just don't have enough pastors. I think many years ago, especially in Europe, I remember that when you had sons, one was to be, was to be a priest, one to be a lawyer, I think, one to be a doctor. Some, but priest was part of it. You know, it was such a prestigious thing. You had to raise a son who was going to be a priest. But now, people say our Bible colleges and seminaries are becoming empty. And this is worrying some people, but it's not worrying God, because he is on the throne and in control. Are you following that? Now listen, just these last few months, uh, I have noticed some things. I was, I was invited to speak to a group of young adults, young professionals at a Bible college, actually a Bible university where I trained. This is many years ago. And uh, when I was there, they said, well, can you just bring greetings? So I gave them the greeting. I sat down. And then they said, well, can you come and close for us in prayer? They were, just, they were young people. These were not pastors. These are just professionals who, were be, who had been called to come for a retreat. And then I said, how many of you here sense a calling into full-time Christian service? Could you come to the front for prayer? The whole place was filled with youth, young adults, and young professionals, with their hands raised, crying and calling unto God that they want to serve Him. Just last night, I got back from Calgary. We have our BGC Young Adults Conference, which, which is just ending now. But I had to come here because Pastor Dave wanted me to be here today. So I left yesterday. Guess what? Young adults in Calgary from different BGC churches crying before God, I want to serve you. In fact, our speaker is Sam from Cedar Grove. He posted something on Facebook, you know, with all these young adults. Some of them uh, rented three vans and drove from BC. They drove to go to this conference. And I watched, I saw these future pastors and missionaries. Some of them are saying, I want to be a missionary. All this is possible because you and I are partnering together with God. This congregation 
Calvary Baptist Church has been one of our, our pillars in this Baptist conference. You have served on the BGC board, you have served on the BCBC board, the district board, you have organized events. And I want you to know that we are grateful. And so are your other brothers and sisters. May you continue the work that God is using you to do. So we travel around to encourage pastors and churches to walk alongside churches through their difficulties. And we are also planting and revitalizing new churches, both here and abroad. So that's what we do. And Good Friday, which both of you are familiar with, is coming end of next month. We are having a service at Chandler's Patterson. We expect about a thousand people to gather. So please do come to celebrate. Then in June, we are traveling this year to Vernon, at June 7th and 8th. That's where we are holding our BCBC uh, conference and uh, annual meeting at Vernon. Vernon was a church that went down to 16 people, but now they are touching 100 people because the church is just being revitalized. It was a church that was thinking of closing their doors, but because, the, you know, they were said, we are all seniors, no children, no young people, but now they have children running around the building because God is revitalizing, just like we were singing about revival. So, Pastor Dave wanted me to share those things with you before I bring the word. So I have to be a very good guest. So he said, when you come, can you talk about these things to the church on this day? So, thank you for what you do. So today uh, I'm talking about the transformative renewal. As I was uh, reading the passage of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 24, you know, I, I read this over and over again. I have preached from Ephesians uh, several times. And uh, this time I looked at it differently just to get a few things from here. And uh, I've never used this title before from this passage. And this is the title that came up, The Transformative Renewal. And I'm going to read this passage so you see why I gave it this title. In verse 17 it says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer see uh, live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, I, I saw imperatives in here. You know, I'm going to read this again. So, I tell you this, and look at the word there, insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. 
Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put, up, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, as I, as I read this, I'm going to take this thing away from here. As I read this passage, then I had to think about the big idea. What is the big idea that this passage is really trying to give us? What can we learn from this? And uh, I also researched to see what other people have written about this passage. The only thing that I could come up with as a big idea is that through our faith in Jesus, that's you and I, we Christians undergo a transformative renewal and are urged to live in alignment with the truth we have learned in Jesus. We are called to put off our old selves and put on the new selves. Sounds like something that you and I have to do which are created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Basically, after our conversion, we're expected to walk in God's righteousness and holiness. Now, what is transformative renewal? Now, you can read this. You can try to do your own research, find out what, what it means. So, transformative renewal. It's a renewal that actually transforms you. You are renewed not to remain the same, but to be totally different, not reformed, but transformed. So transformative renewal then, as you read this definition or explanation of the phrase, it refers to a profound and positive change or transformation that occurs within an individual, or it could even occur in a group. It's, it's very profound change that people will be surprised when they look at you. The closest I can think of is Saul of Tarsus, or Paul, as is known in the, in, in the Roman language. So Saul of Tarsus is totally transformed from what he was here as a persecutor of Christians, however he was doing it, to a totally new person that you could hardly recognize. Transformed. Can your life be described as transformed from what you were to what you are now because of your faith in Christ? So that's what we're talking about, transformative renewal. So this, this type of change involves this. It's a fundamental shift in your belief. Because what you believe, what you believe will affect your choices and your behavior. 
Now, I tell people that our profession, what you confess, does not tell us what you believe. But how you lead your life, the choices you make, will tell us what your belief is. So there are many people that talk about they believing in God, they believing in, in, you know, in Jesus, that I believe in Jesus. But wait a minute, when, when they have to make decisions in life, they decide or make choices as if they don't believe in God. So, tell me what you believe and I'll show you by your actions that your actions point to something else. You don't believe in God. You believe in a different philosopher. Or you believe in somebody else, and, but not really God. Because it, says it's, it involves a fundamental shift in your belief, your behavior, and attitude. So leading to personal growth and renewed sense of purpose or identity. A lot of people have lost a sense of purpose in life. Even their identity, they are questioning who they are. Because they are not renewed. They are not transformed. In the context of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 24, we say that through faith in Jesus, Christians are being... Now, I go to a participle here, are being transformed and renewed. This is an ongoing thing. This is something that is happening in your life. It means that Christians experience a significant and positive change in their lives as a result of their faith in Jesus. That's what new birth is. This transformation can encompass various aspects of your life, such as your moral values. Your moral values are kind of determined by your belief, which has been transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because your mind now is being affected and influenced by something else other than what has been influencing you before. So your, your moral life, your values, you know, they are aligned according to the one that is influencing you, the Word of God. So, your outlook on life is different. Your relationships are impacted. The way you interact with people, your actions are also influenced by your belief as you strive to live in accordance with the teachings and principles associated with your faith in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul is bringing out here in short from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 24. Now, I'm going to give you an assignment, if you are able to do it. Take time to read the book of Ephesians. The epistle to the Ephesians is divided in six chapters. Very, very short. It's easy to do this. Now, 
I'm going to talk about right thinking and right living. That's how it is divided. Basically, these two themes. Chapters 1 to 3 talk about right knowledge. When you read Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about the, how God has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He talks about how we have been saved by God and sealed by him. He talks about, you know, there's a prayer when you read verse 17, chapter 1, and you read all the way up to verse 21. He talks about how he prayed that the eye, the eye, your eyes may be open so that you may see the hope to which you have been called. The power that is available to you, which is the same power that he exerted on Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he talks about all these things that he wants you to know. This is the knowledge. It's a doctrine. In chapter 2, it talks about who we were before we were Christians. Both Jews and Gentiles brought together. The barrier is broken. We are all one in Christ. It talks about the fact that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are here right now, and yet we are with Christ in the heavenly places. It talks about where we are with authority, positionally. Then he goes on to chapter 3, which includes a prayer also. It talks about the intent of, of God, especially in verse, verse 10, when he talks about the fact that uh, God has a plan that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. He has chosen the church. And you are the church. And then he ends with a prayer for it. So when you read chapters 1 and 2 and 3 of Ephesians, you will see that here he wants you to know these things. This is the doctrine. This is what you need to know. This is who you are in Christ. Now, Chapters 4, 5, and 6, it talks about right living. This is what you need to know, and because of this, this is how you are to lead your lives. Because of what Christ has done for you, you lead your lives like this. So when you go to study this, keep this in mind. And we are in chapter 4, which starts with, because of this that I've been talking about, this is how you need to lead your lives. And in verse 1, when you read Ephesians um, chapter 4, in verse 1, it begins with this sentence or statement. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he talks about unity. And then he says, you as a body, you are supposed to be united. You believe in Christ. You have the same faith. You have the same baptism. There's one body. 
And then he talks about maturity. So we need to be united as Christians. We need to move to maturity as Christians. Then it goes on to the experiential aspect of it. In verse 17, which we read. So the second point here is the old way of life. He makes a contrast between the old way of life and the new way of life. Verse 17, he starts with this uh, kind of coordinating, coordinating conjunction. For those of you that are English teachers, you probably can explain this. This is from the Greek. He starts with this conjunction. So, I tell you this. So when you come to this, when you read this word, so, that means he's been talking about something else. He's connecting to something that he's been talking about. Because of what I've told you, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. So because of the preceding statements, that's why I'm writing what I'm writing to you. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now that word no longer, that means that's how you were before. So don't be the way you were before you were a Christian. Are you following this? Then he says Gentile. Who is a Gentile? You see, a Gentile, typically it was known that if you were a Gentile, that meant you were not a Jew because a Gentile was a pagan who didn't worship Jehovah, right? The Jews were followers of Yahweh, Jehovah. They worshiped God. So that's what it means. However, there's a positive aspect of it. That means if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. You could be a Christian, but a Christian Gentile. But in this case, he's saying Gentile in terms of not following God. So the Gentiles here are people that don't follow God. He says don't be like them because the way they live in the futility of their thinking. It, you know, the battle, the spiritual battle is always in your mind. Because your mind tells you things and then you begin to believe them and act accordingly. The unbelieving Gentiles' condition then was that they were darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You can see that he's pointing at their mind, understanding. Ignorance. It's what they have allowed within their minds. It says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So it's like what he writes in Romans chapter 1, or what is described of Pharaoh, how he hardened his heart, and then God just gave him up and just got hardened. And this is how people are. They, they kind of uh, begin to lead lives that are very aimless, purposeless, futile in everything they do. This kind of describes some lives that we might know within our generation where you just lead lives that are pointless, aimless, 
purposeless, very self-centered. He says, this is how you used to be before you were Christians. This is your old life. You should no longer be like that when you become a Christian. Now, remember chapters 1, 2, and 3 is talking about what Christ has done for you. Now, chapters 4, 5, and 6, this is what you need to begin doing. This is how you should be leading your lives now that Christ positionally has done this for you. Don't just say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to lead my life the way I want. It cannot be like that. The third point here, the new way of life. The new way of life is the transformation and renewal. You need to understand that. The start of this new life then, it says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Whenever you become a Christian, you hear the gospel. You hear about your old life and what Christ has done for you to rescue you from that life. A new journey begins. It's discipleship. You are a follower of Christ. You are no longer following yourself or other people. You are a follower of Christ. So, verse 22 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. So, you, you put it off. You make decisions to say, I can no longer be doing this because it is not right. You don't justify it in any other way. It says, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You know, we all have this old self, sometimes called as the old man, the flesh, that is in, in constant opposition to the Spirit of God. And you overcome that by denying its desires and yielding to God. Listen, Paul himself says, I beat my body, meaning I discipline myself. I deny myself certain things that the flesh and the world want me to have. It's a life of discipline. And he says, to be, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Verse 23, I found that interesting. This is the transformation and renewal. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. This is middle passive voice. This is an action that is being done on you. And this talks about really the Holy Spirit working in you to renew you and the only thing you can do is yield to the Holy Spirit. You give yourself. What I see here is that you are being made new. This is like present, middle, passive voice. And how are we being made new? It says in the attitude of your mind. Remember Romans chapter 12? 
offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. That's what it means. And I'm, I'm going to read this here, and, and you see the theme, how it carries over. Verse, verse 1 of Romans chapter 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. So, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. You know, I, I, I teach global theology and I study philosophies here and there, and, and I, will see, I, I see how in theology we use philosoph uh, philosoph philosopher's language to describe certain things theologically. So, I don't have time to go into this, but a lot of things that you and I do and say and believe it's because we are influenced by other philosophical belief systems. And then we come to look at these things as absolute truth for ourselves. And these things affect our minds. Are you following? What you believe. And then suddenly it becomes, well, that is the truth. But you need to be transformed. And you get transformed by the renewing of the mind. It's like a computer system that has to be rebooted or has to have the, the system cleaned out by destroying the virus that's in there. You need an antivirus software, which is the word of God. So that's what we're talking about. And it says, then you are being made new in the attitude of your minds. And then it says, and to put on the new self. So you take off the old self, put on the new self. Now look at this new self. This is scary whenever I read this. It says, this new self is created to be like God in true righteousness, doing what is right any given moment, walking in God's truth and holiness. Devoid of corruption, moral corruption in your life. You and I are created in the image of God. It's not talking about how you look on your face. It's talking about the virtues in your heart, in your life. All right, let me conclude by saying, uh, let's go to the conclusion. I'm going to read this. Let us put our faith into action 
and continually seek to live in accordance with his teachings. This is Christ's teachings. Allowing his love and guidance to shape our lives through the Holy Spirit. Every day, we surrender, we yield to God. I ask you to just pause for a little bit. Reflect over these things. How are you going to lead this Christian life? And you can't do it on your own. You need God's help every day. Would you surrender to him? God bless you.